With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'd like to welcome you to Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast where with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, founder and editor of Radical Compliance, we take a deep dive into the weeds of a compliance or compliance-related topic. Before I get to this week's topic, uh, as you know, the Compliance Podcast Network is always on the lookout for new podcasts. Have you ever wanted to start a podcast but didn't know how? Well, if you've thought about it, please take a listen to this week's sponsor, One Stone Creative. If you are enjoying this show, you might enjoy hosting your own. As an expert in your field, you have skills, knowledge, and insight that can help you expand your practice, meet new people, and create amazing content to share with the world. In as little as two hours a week, you can dramatically change how you promote, fill, and position your business, and One Stone Creative can show you how. Learn more at onestonecreative.net. In this episode, we take a look at the horrific series of events which occurred at Hacienda Healthcare in Arizona recently. It began with the sexual assault of a comatose uh, patient who has been uh, bedridden for many years. This patient was uh, later gave birth, and the father was identified as a male nurse at Hacienda. Hacienda then terminated its 30-year-plus CEO and brought in an investigator who quit very noisily after two months of strategic and tactical interference by the 36-year-serving chairman of the board of directors. This led to mass resignations from the uh, senior management of the company. It's a horrific example of a total, complete, utter failure in corporate governance. Matt and I take a deep dive and dissect it for you. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds with the coolest guy in compliance, Matt Kelly. I have to say, Matt, I'm a little subdued today because of our topic, and it is based upon a blog post you put up uh, this weekend called Governance Nightmare in Arizona. And the only criticism I have of your blog post is that the title does not come close to even encapsulating what on earth is going on here. So with that uh, morbid introduction, first of all, welcome. Uh, and why don't you tell us what's going on with Hacienda Healthcare? Yeah, thank you, Tom. I have to say in my, what's 15 or 17 years in the business, this might be the most appalling corporate misconduct scandal I think I've ever heard of. Uh, so this is coming out of Arizona. There is this long-term healthcare facility, Hacienda Healthcare, uh, that may ring a bell with some people because at the end of December, Hacienda was in the news when one of its patients, a 29-year-old woman, a uh, permanent vegetative state, had been a patient at this facility at least since she was a teenager and I think perhaps even longer than that. Uh, so completely incapacitated. This 29-year-old woman on December 29th was found to be pregnant and delivering a baby boy. And so staffers uh, immediately called 911. Uh, the boy apparently was not breathing when he was born, but they did resuscitate him after a few minutes. Uh, but begs the obvious question, how did this happen? 
And subsequently, uh, police in Arizona did charge a now former male nurse at the facility for sexual assault relating to this crime. Now, stop right there. That's a horrific circumstance. But what gets to us and for those of us in corporate compliance and governance uh, issues uh, in this community, what happened after that and how the company has responded since then is just beyond the pale. So at first, uh, Hacienda fired its long-term CEO, Bill Timmons. Remember that name. We're going to get back to Bill Timmons later on. But anyways, they fired him. And then they brought in a new CEO who brought in a special investigator from the outside, a man named Rick Romley, who is a former district attorney uh, for, I think, the city of Phoenix or the Maricopa County or however they do it out there. But, you know, a former district attorney, well qualified to look into some sort of criminal matter and do an outside investigation. That's good. He was hired on January 13. Then, this is where it all got crazy and went to hell last week, um, Rick Romley resigned very publicly, said that he was resigning because the board could not let him do his job in an effective manner. Um, he cited intolerable working conditions and uh, basically just decided that he's out, he couldn't do his job, refunded the unused part of the retainer that he, the company had paid him. Uh, so he resigned. Uh, this is all this is a very quick chain of events that happened here. So bear with me. He resigns on a Thursday. Uh, the new CEO of Hacienda, who had just been hired in January as well to replace Bill Timmons, uh, he resigned in protest along with this chief operating officer and Hacienda's director of patient services. So the investigator says, I'm out because of the board. The top three in-house executives side with him and say, this is ridiculous. We're out too. Then the board chairman, uh, a man by the name of Tom Pomeroy, refuses to accept their resignations, fires them immediately, calls police to escort them from the building. That is all on a Thursday afternoon. On Friday, the next day, nine more Hacienda executives then submit their resignation all en masse, all very publicly. Um, and they said that their resignations would be effective on March 13. And then that Friday, after the second wave of resignations, Tom Pomeroy, who had been chairman of the board at Hacienda for 38 years, uh, he announced that he was stepping down. And by the way, the day before, I forgot this, a different board member had resigned in protest over how the investigator, Rick Romley, had been treated. Uh, total mess. Everybody resigning here, there, and everywhere because the board was thwarting Rick Romley's investigation into an egregious case of misconduct. Um, and then finally, Pomeroy, I think, saw the writing on the wall and realized that he is out. Um, before we get back to, or we get to all the lessons that we could learn here, let me just circle back to Bill Timmons. I told you we would get back to him. Uh, he had been the CEO at Hacienda for roughly 30 years. And from 2006 onward, there had been multiple allegations of sexual harassment behavior by him that were raised by employees. And the board did investigate. The board hired counseling services for him and everything else. So he himself was no daisy and paragon of good leadership. Uh, we still have many questions about how did this woman 
go the, the the original patient how did she go unnoticed that she was pregnant for so long we're unclear on that um what will happen to hacienda healthcare in my blog post i said this is so egregious that you know the governor of arizona should just seize the business on an emergency receivership basis or something i don't even know what the legal grounds for that might be but hacienda uh is a somewhat large healthcare nonprofit out there it's got I think dozens, if not hundreds, of patients who are now jeopardized. Um, but other people I've spoken to in Arizona have said that the state regulatory agency that oversees these sort of facilities is essentially going to take it over on an emergency basis until they figure out what to do with it. Maybe they will merge the Hacienda business with a different nonprofit. Maybe they'll somehow make it a state facility. I'm I'm unclear on what might happen, but now I think everybody knows this is a nine alarm fire that needs immediate attention. Uh, and fundamentally, the Hacienda brand, like that's gone. That's going to go away. The reputation damage here is permanent and irrevocable, but uh, utter mess. And I should just add, we'd actually still do not know the fate of that baby boy, because remember, the patient who was pregnant, the medical staff didn't know she was pregnant. So she received no prenatal care and they were giving her her usual dose of uh, pharmaceuticals, which I don't know exactly what all of them were. But if you're in a coma, you know, permanent vegetative state, you are going to be heavily medicated. And so that baby absorbed all of that while he was developing. So we have no idea what this baby's long-term deficits or health may or may not be. Um, horrifying set of circumstances all the way around. And then on top of it, we have this battle royal of resignations going on because of this corporate governance scandal where everybody's pointing fingers at everybody else. It's just, it's atrocious. There's no other way to say it. Matt, have any of the people you talked to uh, began began to, or have they begun to, I suppose is the better way to phrase it, uh, discuss potential criminal penalties? Uh, that is a good question. I mean, clearly the offending uh, male nurse, you know, he's already facing criminal charges, but at this point, that's almost a rounding error in the conversation because I am pretty sure, you know, he rightly will face some pretty severe consequences. Um, I don't know, and they have not told me that there may be potential criminal corporate criminal misconduct charges forthcoming here. Um, but you know, I'm, Hard pressed to see how that question won't be asked and perhaps have a long and pointed debate. Um, I think one key figure here, of course, is that investigator, Rick Romney, who had long experience as a prosecutor. So if anybody is going to know what corporate criminal misconduct might be, he would know. And um, I think that that is a very valid question to raise. Um, any, uh, uh, since this company Hacienda <clears throat> Healthcare is in, uh, obviously healthcare, I have to assume there's going to be a federal component, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, or some other type of reimbursement in addition to, uh, reimbursement from the state of Arizona. Any idea what the feds might be thinking? I don't know. And like, I hate to say it, but to be honest, all of that seems like, uh, a rounding error in the full scope of what happened here. You know, like is somebody somewhere maybe def defrauding the government as they provided shoddy care. Like, I, I get that. That is an issue that will have to be discussed. But to me, the, the thinking more is like this is such an important teachable moment about why good boardroom practices 
matter, and they matter all the way through to prevent this sort of thing. It's good that we're going to get justice for um, taxpayers who were defrauded, this woman who was abused, this boy who might face a, a lifetime of difficulty. We don't know. Um, I'm all for that. But you know, we have to do better at preventing this sort of stuff because this is an outcome that you know, we do not want to ever reach this point, regardless of how we, we might remedy the situation from here. Getting here, failures all around. That's what got us here. Uh, Matt, if I could book in this with another uh, corporate board that we discussed last week in the Everything Compliance podcast, and you talked about Elon Musk and Uber, and perhaps one of the solutions might be for greater board oversight. If we could book in this, not to compare the actions of Musk at all with uh, Hacienda Healthcare, but do both really speak on a continual continuum of why? corporate governance and specifically board oversight is so important? I think so, yes. I mean, when you look at uh, Tom Pomeroy being chairman of the board for 38 years, um, that is too long. That is too long for anyone, period. And there are many public companies where activists say that there should be a non-executive board chairman or some sort of outsider who is chairman of the board. Um Okay, that's fine, but you can't even be outside director and chairman of the board for 38 years. So there are ideas such as any board director who is on the board for more than 10 years, more than 15 years, more than some period, you automatically lose your outside status and you become insider. And if you adopt that philosophy with the practice of only an outsider can be board chairman, you know, you can neutralize what really is happening here is this is a long term guy who thought that Hacienda Healthcare was his personal fiefdom and he could run it the way he wanted. Clearly, it was not being run adequately. And when outsiders started to look into it, uh, apparently, the Tom Pomeroy, the long term holdover there, he flipped out and uh, tried to quell the um, investigation. We should say we don't know exactly what he did to thwart this investigation. So neither Rick Romley, the investigator, not Patrick White, the new CEO who resigned after six weeks, they haven't specified what sort of thwarting Pomeroy did. They just said that it was his fault, um, which, Tom, to your point about criminal charges, that does make me wonder because that's the sort of thing when people stop stop disclosing some details, I wonder if they are disclosing them to law enforcement instead. Um, but that's what we have to have here, you know, a good set of board practices that boards adopt, not just publicly traded companies, but even smaller nonprofits. It's not easy, but it has to be done because otherwise these sort of situations take root and fester. So the other um, one of the other points you raised in your blog post was uh, that the Hacienda had a director of corporate compliance. Yes. Who had been in that position since 2015 and had been with the company since 2008. And you certainly have to wonder where she was because it, uh, it was a she. Mm -hmm. um, finally, um, is there any way to put an extra level of either uh, oversight scrutiny or perhaps responsibility on companies that provide services to society's most vulnerable, whether they be children in foster care or uh, terminally ill uh, patients as the woman who was sexually assaulted or even, you know, our, our aging uh, population of, of our parents or our grandparents, anything along those lines? 
Well, you know, it does strike me. Um, where was the director of compliance? And I, I don't know where she was or was not throughout this, but she's been at Hacienda Healthcare for 11 years, and she was director of corporate compliance since 2015. But it raises my question when we talk about a director of corporate compliance, specifically in healthcare, are we talking about people who are in charge of billing compliance? Or are we talking about people who are in charge of corporate ethics and governance thoughts as well? And if they're only billing compliance, who is leading the thought about ethics and board governance and good practices? Um, and I think too often at smaller healthcare firms, the answer is probably nobody or the board polices itself. And clearly that was not enough here at Hacienda. Um, so I do think that some of these executives who maybe tendered their resignation now, I'm not sure if they are trying to, um, you know, make themselves look like they're standing on principle or are they trying to avoid the oncoming freight train of public inquiry, which I suspect is going to be coming. Um, we don't know, but exactly what was going on with what, what was the compliance function supposed to do at Hacienda, but there are many healthcare organizations, this is no secret, where compliance is about billing compliance, Medicare coding, False Claims Act issues, things like that. And it is not necessarily enough about good corporate governance at you know the board setting a tone at the top that can prevent these sort of lapses or bad practices from somehow taking root and festering until they metastasize into something horrible like this. So I have to agree with uh, what you started with, Matt. This is uh, perhaps the worst example of corporate governance uh, I've seen as well. I guess we're going to have to follow this story, but uh, you lay out, uh, for anyone who's listened to us, I hope you'll read Matt's blog post because he lays out all of these uh, issues he's highlighted in, in very good detail. And as you also suggest correctly, I think it's going to be a great lesson learned for boards of directors, corporate oversight, and corporate governance. Yeah. So pretty sobering tale, Matt, for, uh, for this week's episode. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you have any questions, you can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. You can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. I hope you'll join Matt and I again next week where we take a look at a compliance or compliance-related topic and take a deep dive, literally going into the weeds, to explore this topic. Compliance Into the Weeds is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.